Houston, Texas. Today's going to be a fun show, fun podcast. We have Stephen J. Gaither, founder of HBCUGameDay.com, founded in 2012, and ever since then it has gained close to 40,000 followers and fans since the launch, and it has continued to grow as of today. Stephen J., I heard a lot of things about you. Proud of your success right now. Congratulations on everything that's going on right now, launching a new stream network for your website, for the company you own. A lot of things I heard about from from Rob writing for you, Dominique Monday. Just talk about this. How did this come about to make a HBCU website? Uh, well, first of all, okay, I appreciate the welcome. Thanks for having me on. So uh, I uh, I guess it started, I went to Winston-Salem State University uh, and graduated in 2009 from there. And when I was there, uh, everybody else I wanted to be on ESPN. So I covered, uh, I covered sports where I was at HBCU, but I really was really thinking about doing that as a career, um, but, uh, you know, things kind of happened, and, uh, you know, uh, the path didn't necessarily come, go the way that I wanted it to. Uh, I was basically doing, a, doing like, a, a nine-to-five customer service job and then doing writing on the side, and I was like, I know I wanted to do more, so I just uh, said, hey, you know, I know that there's not really, I didn't really see, know of one place that I could go to to get all the news on all the HBCUs across divisions and conferences and things like that, uh, and you know, and just really see you know consistent stuff. So I uh, I went ahead and just took out and bought the URL. And uh, actually, today is uh, it's pretty funny. Today, as we're talking, the fifth anniversary of uh, starting the Twitter page, which is really. Uh, where most people, where a lot, where we really started to make our name, uh, you know, in 2012, when, you know, back then it was just me, and then over the years, uh, you know, accumulated, uh, more folks, uh, Tally Parr down in Atlanta, uh, being able to set up the, uh, couple media days, and we've been working together for years now, and then also, uh, Wiley Pitt, uh, from North Carolina, of course, man, Dominique Monday down in, in Texas, um, Texas Southern, um, and just a lot of great and uh, you know, a lot of great folks coming in and out and, and, and contributing. A uh, 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 guy Rob Harris uh, doing some great stuff for us in Swag last year. So um, you know, I just started off of my own kind of like desperation and just wanting to do something uh, to, to bolster myself and my self-esteem. And just now, you know, something where a lot of people are, are getting. Um, a lot of people are getting uh, experience and, and doing some great things with, and it's just taking off way back to see. So I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased about that. Great to see a lot of people from HBCUs, especially like you, a MEAC guy, doing great things. And since you're in the MEAC, you're in a MEAC conference, how do you, when do you see it playing out to the SWAC and gaining the SWAC followers? Right, right. Well, first of all, I got I to gotta sit straight a little bit. So, I am. So I went to Winston State, which is in the CIAA now, and it wasn't the CIAA when I first got there. But it was also in the MEAC when I was there as well. 
But um, I'm not a, I'm not an any conference guy. I'll put it that way. But I am in I'm in North Carolina, so I am in CIAA MEAC country. So uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the last couple of years, um, North Carolina has kind of been on a high. Uh, you know, in terms of both of those conferences, uh, North Carolina A and T and North Carolina A and T, North Carolina Central, uh, North Carolina Central went three straight MEAC titles. Carolina A&T won two and was close to winning one last year. And then, of course, you had uh, my alma mater, Winston State, which won two in the CIAA. So, uh, you know, I've been lucky to be here in North Carolina when a lot of folks have been winning. Uh, and then just last week, uh, you know, like I said, just, just building from just being uh, one guy at, you know, one location, trying to blog about everybody. But now uh, the past week, we're able to go to SIC Media Day, and for the first time, Swag Media Day. So I uh, had a great time down there in Birmingham. And uh, obviously, uh, Grambling and uh, Alcorn are the state favorites. So uh, it's been our other favorites to uh, take it home. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, let's talk about the Swag. It was Media Day. Just give us the give us the rundown of what transpired at Media Day. Right, right. Well, you know, in media days, they kind of, uh, you know, said this earlier last week, they're kind of pretty mundane for people who have never been to them. Like, they're exciting, but they are exciting because, you know, football season coming up, but, uh, you know, it just, it really depends. I mean, they're usually in, in ugly, in, in ugly hotel room, you know, ugly hotel ballrooms and not very sexy atmosphere, but um, it, it's always great for me to, uh, to interact with student athletes face to face without the helmet most of the time during the year, you know, you see them in their pads, their shoulder pads and face pads. So it's just good to see them outside of there. Uh, they get to show a little bit of personality and pizzazz. Um uh, we're doing uh, something with our uh, best dressed uh HBCU football player uh from the media days. Right now, uh guy leading from the front I would say is Jalen Collins from uh, uh UAPB. Uh, he's a capper, and he looks the part. So, uh, he, so he, you know, so you know, it's, they can be kind of mundane affairs and things like that. But we try to jazz up, make everybody, keep everybody interested and excited for the year. Um, you know, there's a lot of coach speak. You know, you don't you can get too much great stuff from the coaches. But every now and then, you get something, some candidness from the coaches, and uh, you know, we got that from a couple guys. You know, uh, you know, we talked to Brian Jenkins at Alabama State. Uh, asked him to give us his grade assessment of this program two years in, and he gave us that. Uh, Monty Coleman uh, from UAPB, you know, he was, you know, you know, asked him about being picked to finish the last division. He's like, well, you know, you only win one game. That's what happened. So uh, it was a, it was a great event. It was a good time to, uh, to get to see some of the folks, uh, the folks in action face to face. It's a really good time. So the SWAC headquarters, okay, you have the SWAC football championship here in Houston, which is just going to be his last time having a SWAC championship. We're going to talk about that later. You have the SWAC basketball tournament. They are in a city in Alabama, and I want to get it wrong. I want to say Birmingham, and a lot of people think they should move the headquarters to Houston, and I live in Houston, and I think it would be a great idea because we already have the championships here. Or, you know, like in New Orleans, do you see it moving to Houston anytime soon? Uh, well, I would have to think that maybe after this championship thing is over with, the football championship thing is over with, 
I feel like maybe that might not be the move now. Maybe if the championship game is going to continue going on, but, you know, obviously the championship game is something that they took a lot of time and effort in planning, and because of that, uh, that's something that ended up being sacrificed for the Celebration Bowl. So, I mean, I don't know. You know, you never really know what conferences are going to do. Um, it's tough because I'll just give you an example of in the CIAA, uh, oldest HBCU conference has been founded in Hampton, Virginia for 19. 19- in 1912. It was in Hampton for 100-plus years. Uh, you know, they moved the CIAA basketball tournament down to Charlotte, and, you know, Charlotte got a lot, you know, Charlotte got a lot more glitz and glamour than Hampton, Virginia, even though Charlotte, no, Atlanta or Houston. So, you know, they moved down there, but now, you know, everybody else, everybody, you know, and so it's great for the schools that are in North Carolina, and they've moved a lot of their stuff to North Carolina, but, you know, when you do all that and you move the headquarters, things like that, you kind of, you really kind of alienate yourself from the rest of the field. And so, I mean, I guess for the SWAT geographically, it's kind of tough because there's not really a midway, there's not really a midway point that where it would be anywhere anybody would want to go. Um, you know, I guess it would be somewhere maybe in, in, in Mississippi or maybe they would bring it, you know, to uh, maybe they could bring it to, to Louisiana, but uh, it's it's tough. Um, I mean, I think a, a lot of folks. I think it, I think you know, Alabama isn't the sexiest place in the world. But I'm sure the expenses are a little bit cheaper there to keep it out of there, and uh, it, it's a big move to, to pick out, pack up, and move and move your conference. So um, you know, and I guess it depends on what type of coverage that the swag gets in. Uh, local media. Uh, I, maybe, if I'm not mistaken, one of the years I did get to go, uh, they had Black Media Day in Houston one year, and from what I understood, they really did get a lot of coverage from the Houston Chronicle, uh, I think, uh, or, or Houston Chronicle, or, or, like, they really didn't get a lot of respect from the local media. So, you know, and that was a pretty sizable local media contingent in, uh, in Birmingham, so... I guess, you know, there's just a lot of things that go into play when you have something like Media Day. Um, you know, everybody kind of everybody kind of does it a little bit different. Seattle uh, Bale, they move around to uh, they move around to wherever the championship game is, uh, and then uh, the MEAC there uh, they're at home in their headquarters in North. So, um, you know, it's 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 an interesting thing to see. Uh, it's a small part of the it's a small part, but it's a big thing. You know, because that's really, you know, where you try to get your coverage and get your narrative going for the next year. So, Okay, so let's talk about the SWAG championship being removed in 2018. This is going to be the last year. All right, so from fans and alumni and former players, they don't like that move. They think it's taking away the culture. It's not bringing people, you know, they're taking away the culture of the SWAG championship. My argument is this. And I agree with Coach Broderick Fives. I don't know if you heard the uh, the quote he said about it. He said he doesn't have a problem with that at all. My argument is this. I'm looking at a football perspective, and I'm saying that I'm okay with the SWAC football championship being removed. Because, number one, I'm from Houston. I see these, I've been seeing the game the last few years, last couple of years when it's been at NRG. And the turnout, has it was okay, but it wasn't the greatest turn, turnout. And I'm looking at this from this perspective. Let's just say last year, for example, this Grambling football team, they was down to Alcorn. Did we really want to see 
Alcorn beat Grambling and they play in a celebration bowl and sneak out a win against Grambling because I'm looking at it this this way. I want to see the two. I want to see the best team from the SWAC go to the celebration bowl and play a team from the MEAC. So, what are your thoughts on the championship being being removed? Uh, well, I can see it a couple of ways. Um, you know, like you say, I, you know, we talked to uh, to Commissioner Sharp. Uh, our colleague Carr interviewed him. That's uh, up on our YouTube channel right now on our agencygameday.com. Uh, he talked basically about how attendance, how it dropped. Uh, you know, I think there were 40,000-something uh, in 2015 when Grambling and Alcorn came, and then last year there were 25. Um, and he talked about how, you know, it really puts us – and it made sense, you know, when you think about it. It really puts – having all those games back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, like, you know, so if – so, okay, so you got your West champ and your East champ. Your East champ is already going to have played all their games. But depending on how the season goes, if Grambling and Southern are still in the running, then they have uh, so they have to buy you class every year before the flag championship game. And so, uh, you know, so they're in New Orleans. And then, you know, they go to, just like Grambling last year, then they go to uh, Houston for the championship game. And so now you're, if you're a fan, you're like, okay, so we went to New Orleans. Went to New Orleans that Thanksgiving. We knew that was happening. Got to, okay, we got to that, but we could be going to the Celebration Bowl, which is in Atlanta. You know, black people love Atlanta. Let's just get it out there. You know, they, they, do, you know, they love Atlanta. So, um, you know, and, and it's a Celebration Bowl. Uh, it's a nationally televised game on a four-letter network. Um, and so, you know, it's, and, and usually the winner of that is going to win the HBCU National Championship. Uh, and so it, they've built it up to be a big thing, and it, and it has been so, so far. So you're like, okay, are we going to – all right, we've been to New Orleans. Say we live in Baton Rouge. We've been to New Orleans. This isn't that far. We've been to Houston. You know, are we going to go to Houston as well, or are we going to wait and go to Atlanta in a couple weeks? Well, you know, you got more time, save up a little bit more money, get another check-in, and go to Atlanta, then you would, you know, turn around a week later and go to Houston, and then try to go to try to go if you win. So I think a lot of consideration was given, and I think a lot of people are going to be unhappy with this. But to the Southern and Grambling fans, uh, I think the Black Championship meant less. Black Championship game meant less, especially now with the Celebration Ball, because they have the Bayou Classic and because they have. The, the swag championship game. I mean, obviously they had to get. Obviously, from a football standpoint, they had to win to get there. But um, you know, it's just it's tough. And you know, but the flip side of that, and I know I know what you're saying about from the competitive and if Alcorn had won, you know, whatever. But I mean, I just say, I mean, I'm just right back in my backyard. You got the MEAC uh, because everybody, because you know, and to, heading into this year, everybody has a championship game except for the MEAC. Miak is one HBCU conference that doesn't have a championship game, and you look back at the last couple of years, they've had multiple championships. Um, and last year, you know, North Carolina Central was able to. It, it happened to be where uh, enough teams were down to where North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central uh, played together in Durham, and you know, people kind of built it at the Miak championship game, even though it wasn't, but it kind of was. But other than that, I mean, you look at the last couple of years. You know, two years ago, you had three teams that when North Carolina A&T went to the Celebration Bowl that year, you could make the argument they weren't the best, that they weren't the best team in the MEAC. Uh, the North Carolina Central, 
recently, but they lost to Bill Cookman, who's North Carolina A and T D. So and all three had one you know, all three of those teams had, you know, you know, so many losses in the conference. So it's uh, you know, and then the year before that there were five teams that won the DX. So and only one got to go to the FCS playoffs. So when you having a championship game, you have that risk of okay, maybe what if the best team doesn't show up that day and then they have to represent um, because with all due respect, I don't think anyone, I don't think, you know, like I said, not having a dog in the fight, I just didn't want, not having a dog in the fight, I just felt like there would be a better game if it was uh, if it was Grambling versus the, the MEAC camp, and obviously it was. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, at the end of the day, you know, at least you know who was champion. At least you'll say, hey, this person did what they had to do to become a champion. Not necessarily that they're five times, and there's one guy that pulls out the championship. So you can see it both ways. Um, but, you know, I have to wonder, you know, how much pressure Swack was under to end the championship game, um, possibly, you know, possibly maybe before letter network. You know, ESPN puts on the game. Uh, they put the game on the, on, on their site, on, you know, on, on ESPN. And, you know, with the production cost of that, Included to, and then back to back when you have the celebration ball, can definitely, uh, it could definitely, you know, you could definitely see kind of some overlap maybe in their eyes. Uh, so, and then we know we at the end of the swag championship game, uh, but you know, you can't say it was a, uh, a failure because you know they decided they weren't winning in the playoffs. They decided to go for money back in '99 and just said get the playoffs, and you know. Uh, the MEAC hasn't won a champ, uh, a FBS playoff game since 1999. So, um, you know, and, and now ultimately, uh, the MEAC gave up its, gave up its, uh, auto bid for the playoffs to compete. So, you know, you have to look at it as it, it was a game changer. And, uh, you know, there was no, and while the SWAC championship probably helped birth the Celebration Bowl, uh, the Celebration Bowl is probably what's going to end up being, being the death nail to uh, the championship. Exactly. So I'm looking at it from this perspective. Now, this makes – now, let's just face it. Grambling and Southern, those are two best teams in the SWAC. I know Alcorn could probably come out the East more than likely because I feel like the East is weak. But that just makes the Bayou Classic even more, you know, it just makes it more intense because that's the last game of the season. Grambling Southern is going to probably end out this season again – the two best teams in the SWAC. So the winner of the Bayou Classic now can go to the Celebration Bowl and not have to go to the SWAC Championship. Now that makes that even way more better. So let's just skip that and go to the SWAC football season preview. Now, I go to TSU. Coach Michael Haywood about to be in the second year. I believe since they had the top recruiting class in the SWAC, I believe that now they're they the fourth, they they going to be the third best team. They get over the Prairie View hump. But I still see they, I still see them struggling with Southern and Grambling this season. I feel like Grambling is the team to beat in the SWAT. Yeah, I mean, and they, I mean, they are. I mean, they've got two of the best players, uh, two of the most explosive players uh, in HBCU and FCS football, uh, and uh, Devontae Kincaid, uh, quarterback, uh, which is it's, it's so funny, it's so crazy because I think I remember last year. Uh, you know, put Kincaid in our top five uh, black quarterback list 
when he had ever, you know, played at Grambling. Everybody was like, yo, wait, wait, you know, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, he made me look good on that regard, even though I put him five and he should have been up higher. But, you know, I was giving some giving some respect to the guys who are already there. So, but uh, in all seriousness, you know, he's done a great job. What is that? Oh, yeah, he's, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's, so he's done a great job, uh, you know, coming in and, and, and taking control of that team. I mean, he had, and they were set. I mean, they had Chad Williams and Verlin Hunter at receiver. Um, and both of those guys are now in the NFL. So, uh, so he had some weapons to throw to. Uh, he also had, you know, good running back. Uh, and then, you know, of course, you, when you talk about running back, you can't talk about spike running back this year without talking about Martez Carter. Uh, what he did over the last month of the season, uh, really, um, kind of pushed the envelope. I mean, he was already a guy who, uh, you know, known as Mr. Excitement, able to, to get out there and, and make the big plays. But, uh, I mean, he did it on a consistent basis at the end of the year, uh, where he was just, he was just kind of lights out. He was really the engine that sparked scrambling, uh, in the Bayou Classic, in the SWAC Championship game, and then in the Celebration Bowl. He's, a one man wrecking crew at times. Uh and so if he can if he can, you know, stay healthy and play with that fire that he played with the last month of the season, uh, with him and Kincaid, I think it's really gonna be tough uh to beat them. The only thing is they lost a lot of guys on defense, so we'll have to uh see how you know how that uh corresponds. But uh yeah, I think Grambling has to definitely feel like, you know, they are still you know, the Kings say the Kings, but somebody knocked them off. So, um, but yeah, Grambling is definitely the favorite. Uh, and you look at Southern, uh, they lost a lot, but they still have uh, Austin Howard, the quarterback there, senior, who's been around, it seems like, forever. Um, you know, he uh, he is looking forward to, uh, to finishing his career with the Black Championship. Uh, he's following the footsteps of uh, Dre Doss, uh, I'm sorry, Dre Joseph, who uh, led Southern to uh, a SWAC championship in his senior year in 2013. Uh, and, you know, Southern hasn't been back to the champion. Grambling in the last couple of years has uh, succeeded uh, Southern as the power in the SWAC West. And so uh, they're going to be, uh, they are they are without question the underdog position. You know, um, so, you know, without Tillery, without Willie Quinn, they are the underdog. But, you know, they, they feel like, hey, you know, they. Uh, they can compete with anyone, and you know, for the end of this year, you know, last year they weren't eligible for postseason play, so they would not have been able to go to Celebration Bowl anyway. So basically, if they would have won the the Bayou Classic, then Alcorn would have been in there without having each win. So um, you know, so but they are eligible this year. So uh, you know, I'm and, and you know, Willie Quinn and Leonard and Lenar Artillery, those two guys are tough to place, but uh, you know, Southern. Sure they're gonna have some folks to come in and maybe look for a big gift from Austin Howard. So right now, a lot of people has Grambling, Alcorn State, the trilogy, third year in a row to finish off the SWAC championship in the East. Do you see anybody that can give a fighter's chance against Alcorn? I think uh, two teams that come to mind are uh, Alabama State uh, and uh, and also I think UCLA. You got so you got Alabama State and then you got Jackson State. Um, you know, Jackson State's been down for a couple of years since uh, since uh, they had the coach change. Uh, so it's been it's been a tough couple of years for them. But they are, uh, you know, I think uh, Coach Tony Hughes in his second season there. Uh, so a full year of 
going to be looking to really make an impact this year. Uh, still be their program has been very competitive. So, you know, you're not going to keep them down for too long. And Alabama State is a program uh, coming into third year under coach uh, Brian Jenkins, who uh, dominated the DAC uh, with the film Cookman, uh, winning just a bunch of titles very quickly. Uh, hasn't had that same success in the swag yet. Um, and so um, this is a year where you're looking at him, at his team. Are they going to make the jump? Uh, so uh, he's got some, uh, he's got a, uh, met a, a great offensive lineman, Tyus Weenie uh, Freeman, Tyus Weenie Freeman, uh, big guy who's probably going to be the next uh, offensive lineman to go to the NFL from uh, Alabama State, following in the footsteps of Jalen Ware. So they've got him. Uh, they're going to have to have some offensive playmakers for him, though, because they lost a lot of their offense. Uh, their leading rusher and passer uh, both have, you know, Dr. Dale's ability. So they're going to have to find some offense somewhere. But uh, I feel like either of those two teams will probably be most likely to mount a challenge. And then you've got uh, A&M and uh, Mississippi Valley. And I guess you figure at some point Mississippi Valley has to come up and, and be competitive. And uh, maybe this will be the year that maybe they have to be moving, you know, for you know, four or five games. So two more questions before we wrap it up. Question number one, who do you have right now as your preseason player of the year candidates? Uh, so I would say right now, um, it would definitely be, uh, it would definitely be, uh, Devontae Kincaid, um, you know, just, uh, the tools that he had, uh, and then, you know, the tools that he had last year, he can stay healthy and his receivers can, uh, I know he was banged up a little bit in the season last year and, uh, his production kind of tapered off just a little bit. So if he can stay healthy, um, and you know, and he can have his some, and you know, his his new receivers or his, some of his guys who have quite a lot of passes can come together. Then I think he can uh, he can definitely be a contender for the FBS National Player of the Year as well. Um, but I think he's going to have some of his stiffest competition maybe on his own team with Martez Carter um, because he's a guy who you know is a threat to score every time he touches the football, uh, whether it's rushing receiving or, you know, the return game. So uh, I think the Grambling guys definitely are standing out right now. Uh, you look at Austin Howard. You also look at a guy like Illinois Slipman, who a couple years ago uh, just ran all over Southern and ran up almost 300 yards to the quarterback. Really, uh, you know, unheard of almost. Uh, and, you know, he was hurt last year, and Alcorn was actually banged up last year. But, I mean, they've been a – I mean, you know, they still manage to win the East, whatever you want to say about that. But uh, they have, uh, yeah, I think when George Wilson is a guy who, and it's whack, you definitely got to look at, you know, maybe UCA puts it all together because, you know, early in his career, all he can do is reverse the front, consistently the passing game wasn't there. If he, you know, ever comes to an above-average passer, then, you know, Alcorn State could definitely be a team that you're going to, uh, could definitely be a team to rise up against because, um, they've got some. They've got some stallions of running backs that are coming back for them. So, um, you know, don't you know? He, you know, I know down here in, in the CIAA, you know, the Southern Division is starting to be the, the lesser of the two divisions. But you know, the last champ last few years has come from the Southern Division. So, um, you know, sometimes when you play in that quote unquote suffered division, you know, you get beat up a lot more. 
So by the end of the year, the team that has had to play as much stiff competition, a little bit fresher and a little bit better. So, um, so you know that that doesn't always work against you. So it'll be interesting. One last question, Steve. Before I let you go, what is the one game that you're looking forward to this season? Uh, well, I think you know you always have the Bayou Classic in the sweat. That is definitely one that you're always looking forward to. Um, you know, again, by thinking that it might come down to Southern and uh, it might come down to Southern and and Grambling, but uh, you know, I'm I'm looking for I'm I'm looking forward to uh, the seeing. Uh, maybe the Magic City Classic. Maybe you know. Maybe that'll surprise us, and maybe that. Because the last couple of years, couple game years, that game has been pretty good. Um, you know, so I think that's another game that people are definitely gonna want to pay attention to. Uh, and then uh, also, um, you know, you got uh, in the Swag West. I think Prairie View and Grambling is one that you want to see. Uh, you know, just because. You know, you know, let's see what uh, Prairie View has up his sleeve as far as offense this year, and can they slow that uh, slow that down? So, all right, Steve, man, great talk. Congratulations on everything that's going on with you right now. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for having me on, if you anytime you need me to come on, just let me know. That was Stephen J. Gaither, founder of HBCUGameDay.com. When we come back on the real deal with the kill, Coach Mike Davis. Texas Southern University basketball coach. Real Deal with the Kill podcast located at ESPN Radio in Houston, Texas. I am joined by a coach that took over Indiana as the head coach in 2000, then took him to the Final Four in his second year coaching. Then fast forward to 2012, he took over TSU, won either the regular season championship or the conference championship in his tenure so far, eight total tournament appearances. I'm joined by none other than Coach Mike Davis. Coach, right, let's 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 take it back to Indiana. When Bob Knight was there, you was the assistant coach, and then you got the word that you was going to take over as the head coach. Just give me your reaction back at that moment. I was excited to uh, have an opportunity to lead a program like Indiana. I'm uh, nervous at the same time because of the magnitude of the program being one of the top programs in the history of college basketball, but. It really got my hometown excited. Everybody in my hometown was just like, they couldn't believe it. It was all excited for me to have that opportunity. Yeah, now I, and I want to talk about the first time me and you met. We, I was sitting at the t- – it was this past season, getting ready. We had this TSU Sports Network with Nick Strong. And then I, I seen I, – I walked past you plenty of times at school, at the games. You walked to me. First of all, I was like, okay, is he coming to me or is he going to skip past and walk somewhere else? <laughs> we sat down and talked for like 30 minutes. Literally after you left, I text chat about it. I said, did you tell Coach to come to me? Like, what was – you know what I'm saying? I was, I was like, hold on. 
This is Coach Mike Davis. Like, this is this is our first time talking. We had like a real good conversation. You know, a lot of people might think you're intimidating or something, something <laughs> like that. Well, I mean, you know, we, ever since then we've been cool, and I'm glad you joined the show. Yeah. And let's talk about the year after the Indiana, the first season you took over. Going to the Final Four. Talk about that team in that season. Well, what you didn't know, I, I saw you on a radio show. That's how I knew who you were. Oh, okay. Um, they was talking about the uh, the uh, SWAC football. Yeah. And you was talking about Coach Haywood and Griff and uh, all the wide receivers in, in the conference. And, uh, you, you know, some of the things you said was pretty good. Yeah. And so uh, I knew your face and, and your voice. And when I saw you live, I just came up and talked to you. I appreciate that. So. I'm always watching something. I'm yeah, always you never, watching. You never something. know who's watching. Never know. But uh, Indiana was great. You know, we had an opportunity. My first year, we went to the NCAA tournament, got beat by um, Kent State in San Diego, and the next year we would go to the Final Four, which is you know always a dream come true for all the coaches. And yeah. every year at the Final Four, we have a Final Four coaches meeting I and mean, coaches banquet where only the coaches who went to the Final Four can attend. And so we had a Final Four jackets. And I went last year when it was here in Houston for the first time and received my jacket. And, and um, it was nice, but great memories. Um, we were leading with two points. We was up two points with about 10 minutes to go to the game against Maryland. And uh, you don't get any closer than up two uh, with 10 minutes to go uh, to winning the game. So I was excited about just looking back on the things that we accomplished as a as a program in Indiana. And they hadn't been back to the Final Four since I was there as a coach. Hopefully they can go back soon. Yeah, that's a story program. And the expectations you set for that team, going into that season went to the Final Four, what was the expectations you told your team before conference play got started in January? Well, we had struggled um, from a program standpoint of not getting to the Final Four. And we wanted to leave a legacy. We wanted to do something that hadn't been done in a long time. There's nothing you can do in Indiana that hasn't been done before. You know, they had an undefeated season and won. So uh, we had some seniors on our team that wanted to go out and be remembered. And our first thing we wanted to do was just win the conference. We wanted to win the Big Ten uh, and go to the, the Final Four and championship game. That was, those were our goals for our team. And and uh, we had Jerry Jeffers, who ended up being a first-run NBA pick, and and Dane Fife, who um, was down as assistant coach at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys were our leaders. And so they came together and got on the same page, and our team followed suit behind those two guys. And we ended up – everybody thought it was a run, but I thought we was playing really good basketball at the end of the season. And by us winning the Big Ten, it tells you that we had a good season um, in the Big Ten. But uh, it was a really, really, really good team from a standpoint of chemistry – um, one that I want to someday have again, um, but I know what it takes. I understand uh, what you have to do to, to develop a good team, and the culture is so important. And so uh, our culture at that point was just like unbelievable. Everybody liked each other. Everybody cared for each other. It was kind of like brothers playing, and I want my brother to do well. Uh, I want my brother to do better than what I'm doing. And so uh, – uh, that's hard to find, but every year someone's going to accomplish that goal. Coaching under Bob Knight, <clears throat> being the assistant coach for Bob Knight, and you taking over, and you still coaching now. What did you take from learning from a legend like Coach Knight? Well, I think anytime you're around greatness, um, 
they do things the way it's supposed to be done. They're all about everyday improvement, getting better every single day. And so just watching them and emulating them and what they do and how they approach their everyday um, duties as a coach and as a leader, uh, I got so much for, from him as far as um, no matter what you have to do, you have to know it. You have to know it. And when you're doing a scout report, he would let us take notes out on the floor when we were scouting the team. So you had to watch so much film that you knew exactly what they was doing. It was in your mind. It wasn't on paper. Um, you just knew it. And so that was one thing I got from him, that knowing every single thing that the opponent's going to do, offensively, defensively, what they do against the zone, the out-of-bounds plays, their half-court plays, uh, their press attacks. So you have to know that in your mind, and that's a lot of knowledge that you have to have for each team. But uh, there's no time limit uh, of what you have to put in to get ready for a basketball game. I think the one similarity that you and Coach Knight have mm-hmm. is getting under the ref skin. <laughs> I can honestly say when you stand up, yeah. I would see you before the game, Shake the ref's hands, you know, doing all that. Then if it's one call, you stand up. I'm like, uh oh, something's finna. He's finna explode in a couple of minutes. I can, <laughs> I can see it at any moment. Like, do you get any criticism, like backlash from that when people if people say anything like, oh, he yells too much, he do this, he do that towards uh, players or refs from the opposing coaches. I think the opposing coaches think, especially in our league, I get calls and. um uh, but we get calls uh, that made the right way. I mean, I want the right calls. I don't care if it goes against me. If it's the right call, it's the right call. And so um, I think some some of the coaches in our league just think I get all the calls. If I stand up and you know, it's funny you say that because they say when I get up and say something, then okay, the game changed. It goes our way. But I just know the rules. I understand the rules, and I want the game called by the rules. Yeah. So we, after Indiana, you have you won 115 games, only lost 79. Great record. You go to the CUSA Conference and coach at UAB. Talk about that team and what was the difference between the years at UAB and the years at Indiana? Well, you know, um, I started off at Indiana with like three or four straight 20-win seasons. Uh, first time in the history of the school that it happened. Uh, got to UAB and I signed uh, to go there. And a lot of players that signed there, they, they didn't come because I wanted them to – Want to play for UAB and want to play for me, but they signed with Mike Anderson, so I was cool with it. Uh, we struggled the first year because everybody was new, everything was new, and uh, the next four years we had 20 straight wins, uh, season four straight years. Yeah. And so um, the difference in UAB and Indiana was that in UAB we didn't get the crowds and uh, the national exposure mm-hmm. just because of the uh, of the program. Indiana was on TV all the time. I think one year I was there, we had the most attendance in, 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 in the Big Ten in the country. So yeah. more people saw our games live than, than any other program in the country. So that's like a big difference in, from a basketball standpoint. They love basketball in Indiana. They, they understand basketball in Indiana. Um, and uh, it's just the programs are different, but both are really good for me as a coach. Yeah, then look at your record at UAB. <clears throat> your first year, you went 15-16. Then your last year, UAB – you go into 500, mm-hmm. but you had four straight seasons of 20 plus wins. Yeah. Did it? Was you confused at all when UAB decided to like y'all parted ways about it because you just went to the tournament, you won four straight 20 <laughs> yeah. season, 20 season wins, 21 seasons. Excuse me. Did you feel like okay, what? Why did I? Why do we part ways? 
Well, you know, that year, I don't think people even realized what happened. Uh, we just came off the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, July, my brother called. His son got killed uh, in Texas at the Army base uh, in a car accident. Um, that was in July the 3rd. Uh, like October, my mother passed away. Uh, a week later, uh, my other brother's son, firstborn boy, both of them passed away. Damn. So it was like three deaths in like a total of from July to October. So really, uh, my mind wasn't in it, wasn't in it really. And but you know, when you're in a situation like that, you're working. You know, they expect for you to do a job, and I was unable to do it at my best, <clears throat> which probably wasn't fair to the players. Uh, other program, but you know, uh, emotionally, I just wasn't there. Uh, my mom and I, we were really, really close. And my two nephews, uh, my son Mike, that's coached for me now, he was really tight with, with my uh, nephew that was in the uh, service here that passed away in the car accident. So mm-hmm. it was just a matter of me just being emotionally drained and not being able to coach the team the way I wanted to coach the team. And unfortunately, they let me go, but fortunately, probably the best thing ever happened to me yeah. because. Um, I got a chance to come here to Texas Southern, which a program that I love, and um, I can do things here that never been done before. Uh, I want to do things here that never been done before, and so I got a chance to to be in a great city of Houston, uh, work for a great AD in Charles McClellan, um, be with people. Not saying that people in the Indiana UAB didn't appreciate me, but um, some did. And but just being in a situation where I can help guys, players. Um, kind of understand what life is all about. You know, sometimes you go from a smaller school to a big, mid-major to a bigger school. I went from a big school, mid-major to uh, a smaller school. Yeah. So it kind of, it, it was reversed, but it was done for a reason. Uh, yeah. It's made me, you know, understand the big picture, which I could give them that they don't see and don't understand. And the only thing I can do for them is give them the information that they need to be successful. Uh, it's harder to get through to some of these guys I have here at Texas Southern, but at the same time, I do have the information. If you don't have the information, there's no way you can uh, inspire people or get them to, to kind of understand, uh, even though it may take years later to understand it. But I've, I've been in the championship game. I've been uh, at, at the top programs, and now I'm here. And my, my peace of mind and my coaching and my excitement is, is, is better than it's ever been before. Yeah. You think the stuff when we had all the things that happened in your family mm-hmm. from that span for July to October? Did you ever think about stop coaching and just retire at that moment? It crossed your mind, you know, but it, it, it only crossed your mind because I was just going through emotional stuff. It wasn't like, okay, I don't want to coach anymore. Just like, okay, you know, I can't do it right now. But at the same time, you know, we always talk about obstacles we always talk about you know fighting through them and you know what what, what a better time to um, be able to to try yeah. to do that because uh, everybody knew what I was going through from a team standpoint they knew I wasn't on top of my game but you know what a what a ride it was for me to try to to stay focused and work as hard as I could work during those tough times you know it's, mm-hmm. it's so easy to do it when everything's going right for you it's so easy uh, but when things are going tough, it's really difficult. So, you know, I was in the standpoint of, okay, this is the opportunity. Yeah. It's the opportunity. And once I realized that, you know, 
uh, the players are watching me, and they're going to go through some of the same things in their life, you know, uh, for sure. It's going to be some death in their family. When they out work, it's going to be divorce, uh, losing a job, losing a house, or whatever it may be. They're going to go through those things and, and to see how I handled it. And I thought I handled it well, mm-hmm. but I knew I wasn't inside on top of my game. But I thought I handled it well. But what a, what, what a great lesson uh, for those guys to see their coach going through some stuff and uh, be able to just stand there and fight. I never missed a game, yeah. you know, and uh, they could tell my mood swing was kind of different at, different at times, but still I was there, you know, with, with, with them every day. So, you know, hopefully they can go through, when they, when they go through some things and in their life, uh, they'll look back on my situation and say, hey, you know, Coach was, he handled his pretty well, so I got to handle mine. Yeah. And you go to TSU in 2012, you get a player like Omar Strong, I want to say your first year, correct, in mm-hmm. TSU. Talk about that team and compare your first year at TSU and compare them to, like, the other teams you coached, UAB and Indiana. Different, different. Mindset was different. You know, when you're at Indiana, uh, when, when you sign, like, a high-level program like that, when you go to school there, you go for a different reason. You know, most guys that are going to – uh, if they want to be in the NBA, they're going to work hard all the time. It's never going to be an excuse. Uh, if they want to get a degree, they know that there's a big-time job waiting them. So they're going to act a certain way and carry themselves a certain way. So the whole culture is different. Uh, you don't have to explain as much there as you do here. And so um, going to class is, is like something that they love to do and something they embrace. You know, working hard, they embrace it because they, they, they're there for a reason. When you look to your left, you look to your right, you know, you have great students, um, and they're not just looking for basketball to be a way out. So the big picture for them is totally, totally, totally different than yeah. what, you know, you're getting. So um, you got, like, maybe 200 majors there at Indiana. So if I want to major in anything, I want to major in it, it's, it's there for me. Yeah. Uh, the resources are just, just, just unlimited at a school like that. UAB uh, is kind of in the middle. You know, you you have you have those guys that kind of want to do it and kind of don't. Yeah. You know, they want to do it. They want you to give them something, but they don't want to. You know, you have to push, 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 push. And what I mean by that, I'm I'm just, I'm just talking about personalities and and belief systems. Yeah. You know, they have and and here at um at uh at uh Texas Southern, it was a, it was a struggle. Yeah. Struggle. It's a struggle every year for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to get them to understand how important it is to go to class. You know, get them to understand how important it is just to work hard every day. You know, uh, they just think it's just going to happen to them. Uh, they have what you call a uh, uh, fixed mindset. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Uh, instead of having a growth mindset, whereas, hey, I got to make it happen. And I got to have a plan. And I got to make sure that I'm stubborn, like really, really stubborn about my, my, my vision, but I'm flexible about the information and, and some of the decisions that I have to make about certain things. So uh, Omar Strong is a prime example. You know, he fought me, fought me on, on some things, but, you know, his heart, uh, his determination, uh, the way he approached the game was just, like, special. Yeah. I mean, special. Uh, he graduated. Uh, he, when I got here, he graduated from uh, Texas Southern. Uh, but just trying to get him to understand the big picture. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, I mean, if, if if Omar was at Indiana, 
a UAB and with the mindset he has, he'll be special, yeah. you know. So, uh, but just getting him to understand, hey, practice every day. You love this game too much to miss a practice. It's just practice every day. Yeah. But um, pleasure coaching him. He's just like um, he's like my son. You know, yeah. we talk all the time. He texts me all the time. I follow him. I know what he's doing. And you know, bas- you know, but guys always say basketball is my life, but really it's not. Mm-hmm. Basketball is Omar's life. He won't. He don't want anyone to do him. Yeah. Uh, so if you see you shoot fifth in a row, he's gonna make fifth and one. You know, he's just a competitor, and and, and I love it about him. And you're and you're dead on what you said earlier. You were talking about the difference between like the levels between Big Ten players, CUSA, and SWAC. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because you got the Big Ten players, most of them. We could say this. All of them was really stars in high school. Mm. Most of them was highly ranked in the national spotlight. Their mindset is like, I'm a. They thinking ahead. They thinking about the NBA. They talking to NBA age. They talking about. They talking to a lot of people in the NBA level. Then you got the CUSA that's in the middle. It's like, you, like you said, you got some that's want to go to the NBA. And some that's like, I'm just here just to you know, put on my resume or whatever. Then you got the swag players. TSU is like, uh, they stuck on one main thing, and then. Talking about TSU and the teams that you coach. Every year you've been at TSU, you either won a regular season championship or a sweat championship. What is the expectation you have with your teams each and every year? Because, like you said before this season, you want to take a, you want to take a TSU team to a Final Four. And there be a lot of teams that's in a swipe or at a HBCU period, they feel like, oh, the main goal is just conference championship. When we get to the big dance, oh, you know, we just here just to have fun. Yeah. Well, you know, most teams want to compete. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to dominate. And when you want to dominate, you think differently. You recruit differently. You approach it differently. Everything is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to dominate the swag. That means I want to win it every single year. I don't want – see, most people are, like, superstitious. Well, you, you can't keep doing this. You know, why not? And so – uh, I want to get to a Final Four here. Uh, I want to play for a national championship here. So my mindset is like, not when November get here, but every day of the year. You know, how can we do this? What can I do to make my basketball team believe it? Because you know, right now we don't believe it. You know, and um, we just think we can win the swag, yeah. and we okay with that. But you know, some kind of way, uh, I gotta get guys that believe. But not only believe, but put the work in that it takes uh, to do it. Because it's really hard. I mean, it's it's going to be the hardest thing they ever do in their life uh, is get to the Final Four. Yes. Really hard. It's not luck. You know, we talked about David and Goliath before. Yeah. And everybody like, well, you know, we we, we, we David, we're David. We're not David. You know, David was an expert. You know, Goliath was the one in trouble. You know, he was blind in one eye and, you know, he... he had no chance against David because David, when he, his slingshot was more like a gun. Somebody shooting a gun, and he was like killed tigers with his slingshot. So we don't we want to be David, but we don't want to be David in the way people think David is. Because the perception of what people think David is, the little guy win, but this little guy was an expert, and so I got to get guys who believe that just because we're at Texas Southern. It don't mean that we can't do what anybody else do anywhere else, you know. I just think anything can be done in college of basketball. I've said this a thousand times since I've been here. It can be done from right here. Yeah. But you have to put the work in to be able to do it. You're not going to just look up and, and make 23s in a game for five games in a row and think you're going to be the national championship. It's, 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 some, it's some struggle that goes along with that. It's, it's a lot of hard work, 
a lot of hard work, but you have to embrace it. Yeah, how can you get players to buy into what you believe in going to the final four? Because look at the teams you had. Best bet, if Griffin would have stayed on this one, this team could have possi- possibly made the run, and you had Brian Carey would have been healthy. How can you get guys and players in the swag for TSU to buy in and think big and think final four instead of just thinking limited? Very difficult. Very difficult, but it's a challenge that I, I – I, uh, uh, embrace because I'm telling them everything they need to know. Mm. You know they're hearing every all the right things, but uh, when you have a belief system, see what people don't understand is our minds are not designed for anything that we feel is like um, danger. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and so when you work and you pushing yourself, you know your mind telling you to shut down because this is just too hard. Yeah, you know, but great. Great people, great teams understand that the environment that you are in is not for your comfort. It's not for you to feel good. It's for you to work hard. And so uh, you believe something, I believe something. And it only has to make sense to one person for them to keep embracing it and holding on to it. And so if I believe something that sounds good to me, that's all that matters. And so no matter what I give them from an information standpoint, uh, they won't let go because there's that little thing in their brain that's telling them, hey, it's too hard, it's another way, uh, I got here by doing this, uh, but you're not going to get there by doing this. Mm-hmm. you know. But they think I can get there by doing this, or we're never going to win it because I'm at Texas Southern, mm-hmm. so why should I push myself as hard as I can push myself if it doesn't work out for me? Mm-hmm. You know, um, give an example. Uh, my son shoots 5,000 shots last summer for two straight weeks uh, a day and it was like 60,000 shots in two days come out in the game he shoot he had a bad game shooting somebody said well why would you shoot all those shots and you know you have a bad game and my and my point is you know you work you work you work and I'm not going to stop working because I have a bad game because we all do so if you stop doing something just because you have a bad game, and it makes no sense. Yeah. You know, you're doing it, you have a bad game, you come back and you put more, and you come back and you put more, and you put more, and you put more. And, and, and sooner or later, somebody say, oh, he's a natural. He's the elite shooter. But they don't see all the times you, you work, but you have to struggle. Like everybody, no matter what you do, you're going to struggle. Yeah. You're going to struggle in it. But you have to know why you struggle. You have to embrace the struggle. And you have to try every single day to get better. I mean, like, not one day a week, two days a week, seven days a week. seven, mm-hmm. And even the day that you may think you're taking off, your mind has to be working overtime. What can I do to get better? Yeah, and talk about this, this team that you had this past year, the 2016-17 team with Zach Lofton. Lonnie Robinson, Trey Jefferson, Marvin Jones. I can honestly say, we talked about this before, this is the most different team that you have ever coached at TSU. Not skill-wise, but as far as, like, off the court. Sometimes on the court. Mm -hmm. What made this team, in your eyes, different than any other ones? Well, first we unachieved. You know, I don't think people think we unachieved, but we unachieved. Mm -hmm. Um we lost two conference games. Shouldn't have lost any. Uh, we lost to 
three or four non-conference teams we should have beaten. And so uh, we underachieved because everybody had their own individual thing going on. Every one of them. It's just one one or two. Every, every, every single one of them. So, yeah. you know, you can overcome one negative. You know, they said the ratio is eight to one. Eight positive, one negative. You can overcome that. And so in basketball, you only have 13 guys. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's no two eight to ones in basketball. And we had about six guys, seven guys that didn't care about each other, didn't care about the team. The team wasn't really important, uh, but the the good thing we won, but the worst thing we won, yeah. and so uh, it was very difficult. This this was my most difficult year as a coach, coaching these guys, because it it got to a point to where it wasn't about uh, anything other than managing their behavior, mm-hmm. you know, managing uh, their commitment to Texas Southern, and I think. This team failed to realize that Texas Southern is, will be, and was before bigger than them. Mm-hmm. And when you're thinking that you're doing a school a favor, and most of them thought that, then you lose sight of why you're here at Texas Southern. You know, it's kind of like when you go overseas. I'm not sure if you've ever been overseas before. Uh-huh. But uh, when you go overseas, they speak a different language. So you have a tendency to think that they're not very smart because they speak a different language. They have a tendency to think you're not very smart because you don't speak their language. So you're thinking that they've never seen you before. You think that you can do something they've never seen before and vice versa. And so when when, when this team last year came to Texas Southern, they didn't realize there's been some really good players here at Texas Southern. Oh, yeah. Really good players. Oh, yeah. And so there have been some really good players in the SWAC. And so each one of our guys thought that they were doing the SWAC and Texas Southern a favor of just being uh, on this basketball team. And when you have that mentality, that mindset, you're not going to give everything you can for the team. Yeah, and I've I seen a couple of moments where we talked about Zach Lofton. Mm-hmm. Talented. I said going into conference play, he was going to be the best player in the SWAC. But he up here and, it's, you know, he was, you know, kind of, I don't want to say soft, but it was like he had attitude issues with the court. And I've seen a couple of times where y'all be in a huddle, he'll be yelling at either you or the players. Do you think he underachieved and you try to make him hit this potential that he had, but he didn't quite get there? Well, you know, like I said, the team, we, we all we are, we are underachieved. And, and then we all made some sacrifices as a staff to try to get these guys to – to be successful here at Texas Southern, you just handle things totally different because you're trying to it's second, third guys, chances for guys, and guys can't make it other places that you try to uh, help them mm-hmm. to make it uh, other places, and you try to teach them along the way every single day, uh, but they fought us, they fought us. But again, you know, our fans are happy. We won 16 games. Uh, we won the conference regular season, won the conference tournament. And that's what it's all about here is to win both of those. Yeah. But if you want to go deeper, if you want to go deeper, your attitude. See, it's, it's like <clears throat> on a scale from 1 to 10, mm-hmm. with 10 being the highs, you know, your attitude, if you're going to go in the Final Four, it's got to be a 9 or 10. It can't be a 3 or 4. All right. Yeah. Your effort on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the highs, of getting to the final four, getting deep in the tournament, has to be a nine or ten. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You can't be a three or four. You know, your practice habit, uh, your chemistry, it has to be at a nine or ten. Yeah. With nine being low. With nine being low. So we never got past four. We never got past four. Uh, and so we was at four and still won four non-conference games. Uh, we was at a four and still won 16 conference games. We was at a four and still won the SWAG tournament. So take that four, move the needle up to a nine. Where are we now? We had 27 wins, 28 wins, uh, one game, two games, maybe win in a tournament because now we're not a 16 seed. We're at a a 12 seed, 11 seed, because you can respect us now if we go with that talent and we beat a Southern Illinois that we lost to. We beat a LSU that we lost to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knock off one of the bigger opponents, whether it is Arizona, whoever. We win one of those games. Yeah. And now you're sitting here with seven wins, eight wins in non-conference. We beat Lafayette. Uh, team that we should have beaten if we had that nine out of ten. So now you got eight wins, eight wins uh, in non-conference. You put that sixteen. That's twenty-four wins. You go with the three-inch. That's twenty-seven. What swag team that we won twenty-seven games going into the NCAA tournament? That was a sixteen seed. And you talking about a, a twenty-seven win season with non-conference wins against good teams, not non with the two. Uh, 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 NEIA, uh, some team that came here to play. So we deserve a 16 seed yeah. because of what we did accomplish of the talent that we had on our basketball team. And anything you do in life is just like what you do. Okay? You can't come in here and operate on a four or a three. Mm-hmm. You won't be here long. You got you to you know what you need to do to get to that nine, that ten. Every day. It got to be that every day. Every day. If you drop, it better be a seven. It can't go down to three. Right. But we was, we was able to win at a three to four. And by us being able to win at three and four, that was the worst thing that happened to us because now we think, okay, we're we, we doing everything right. You think you can rank them TSU teams that you had so far? Rank them? Yeah. <clears throat> um, my first year, I thought we bought into things at the end. And we didn't get a chance to play in the, in, in the tournament, which was unfortunately – because I thought that, that was a really good team. I mean, I thought Ray Penn and Madeiras and Omar. Oh, that was a team that couldn't go to the tournament. Yeah, we couldn't go. No, that, that's, I can say that because yeah. this is before I got the TSU. Mm-hmm. That team, when I watched them on TV, was pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. Who was it? Ray Penn, Omar. Omar, uh, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Danner, uh, uh, Madeiras Gibbs, uh, Fred Sturdivant, uh, who else we had? We had uh, AC. Uh, and my mind's going blank on me. I hate to leave guys out that we had that was pretty good. Uh, but that team won 14 games in a row. The longest win streak in the, in the NCAA behind Louisville that year. Yeah, longest this, win streak. This is the right. Yeah. Ethan Blackwell, Aaron Claiborne, Dexter Ellington, Gibbs, Lawrence Johnson, Ray mm-hmm. Penn, Billy Rosenberg was on that team? Yeah. Yeah, Bill was a walk on that team. The tight end, I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, one point five points a game. Yeah, tight end. Omar Strong, Fred, and Kyrie Sutton. Yeah, that was Kyrie, a pretty yeah. solid team. And like I said I remember I watched that team on TV, and that would have been, you know, a, a very good team. That, that that team there defensively played really hard. 
and start coming together. Mm-hmm. Like, like we 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 end up putting Omar on the point guards and putting uh, Ray on the, on on the shooting guards. Yeah, and they both was like really really dynamic and just 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 outstanding defensively. Uh, but we won 14 straight games, and that yeah. was that was a special team. By next year, uh, we had talent with Eric Merritt, uh, D.D. Scarver, uh, Ray Penn, but the chemistry was really bad on that basketball team, and we ended up going. I noticed that. I too. think twelve and six. You know, we lost more games that year than we did all year put together. Um, but uh, we got it going in, in the tournament. Won the tournament. Eric uh, played great in this white tournament. He played really well in the non-conference, but he didn't. He didn't really play well during the conference. Yeah, and I noticed that watching that team <clears throat> and going to a couple of their games, it was more like it was an Eric Murray show. Yeah. Because I remember Ray Penn in high school was. He was great in high school, but then his game changed once he got to TSU, and I feel like, watch, especially watching that play-in game, it was like it was all Eric Murray, and I feel like the team kind of reminded me of the team that you had this past season. It was like the talent was there, but the chemistry, like you said, was at a four. Yeah. So yeah. looking at that team, I feel like that could have been better than what it was. That, that was the Outside team. Looking yeah. in. That was the team that should have won the play-in game. But... Uh, you know, guys didn't accept what we wanted to do from a game plan standpoint of of what we had, and yeah. then we really struggled. We really struggled with uh, being that team. We really struggled with, with with just you know the chemistry, and we just kind of played individually. At one point, we were six and six in the in the conference, and we ended up winning six straight conference games, one going twelve and six, and three straight games in the tournament and so we won like nine games in a row and uh but that was an unachieved team as well the next year I thought we were just like come try to hold it together yeah. buy some time you know to get some guys in here and uh that team there was just off of sheer just I mean Madaris Gibbs led us uh, 2014 year yeah when we beat yeah. Michigan State and um and Kansas oh, yeah. State and, and we had Auburn beat to the uh, called at the end of the game, cost his game, who's up one uh, with like 11 seconds to go in the game, and they called a foul at half court. But um, that team there was, if I can take that team mindset and put it in the talent that we've had with the Eric Merritt team and the Zach Lofton team, then we would have won some games. That team there was like a 15 seed. Yeah. And yeah. what was the players' mindset when they beat Kansas State and Michigan <clears throat> State? Back to back. What was it like in the locker room? Was in that practice? It was. It was uh, a celebration, and it was. Uh, it was a celebration that they didn't know it should have been the norm. Mm. But it was a celebration, and it was a situation where it hurt us because we didn't realize why we were good. To think you're good is good. Yep. But to know why you're good is better, yeah. you know. And we didn't know why we were good. And we were good in those games because we shared the ball and we wanted to win more than anything. It didn't matter who scored, who played. We wanted to win. Yeah. And uh, we got the conference play. And we only lost two games that year. But we never should have lost those two games. And we struggled with some games that we ended up winning because we wanted to turn it on and off. We, we was, we was yeah. like the um, – <laughs> I could explain it. It was, it was like Michael Jackson uh, uh, tour. You know, when you walk in the gym, Michael Jackson walk in, everybody's, oh, that's Michael Jackson. 
Yeah. And now we walk in there, oh, that's the team that beat Michigan State, that's the team that beat Kansas State. I mean, these come from SWAC fans. Yeah. So they were more proud. Of, they, were, they were not more proud, but they were proud of us for that accomplishment yeah. that we did. And it wasn't the norm. You and know, it represented the conference. Exactly. So yeah. when you walk into Alabama State and they tell me, man, y'all beat Michigan State, blah, blah, you know, it's like, wow. You know, you normally get the hatred and the, and mm-hmm. the, and the competitive you know, vibes from them, but they were more, uh, man, that's, that's that team, that's that team. That, yeah. And so they would sit back and wait for a show. Yeah. Don't give us something. You know, show us how you beat Michigan State. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, show us how you beat Kansas. And our guys got caught in that more than just let's, let's, let, let's play the way we played against those guys. And it's weird because, yeah, bigger school, you beat Michigan State against it's like, oh, we, it's a, just another game. Yeah. But then you in the swag, holy shit, we just beat Michigan State. Like, yeah. you, we just went inside of them and beat them in overtime. So it's like, it's that different feel. And like you said, that team, and I like the team. You had Chris Thomas, Darius Gibbs, the Farrell Biggs, too, who I just saw a couple of weeks ago. And another guy that led that team. And that, and that was the year that Jose was hurt the yeah, whole season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if he played, that probably would gave an extra edge or extra boost because yeah. he had just came off a double-figure season, I'm correct. Yeah. So, and then you switch to go to the 2015-16 season. You get the Showtime team. Showtime, Coach. It was Showtime. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. Derrick Griffin, Blanks. And just talk about that team. And, you know, you won 18 games that year, but you had a team in that won a racing championship but couldn't beat Southern in the championship. Yeah, we, we again, again, we just did. We kind of unachieved. It was a tournament game. We should have beaten them. But it was just um, – they wanted it more than we did. Yeah. Uh, they was prepared to beat us. We came out like they were going to lay down uh, because we had beaten them uh, twice, I think, during the season. Yeah. And they came out and followed us like crazy. And we responded. But then we took the lead. We was down 25, I think. We came up and took the lead by two. Then we started back to playing the way we played when, when we got down. And uh, that was a disappointing for us. For me, it was very, very disappointing. I think, and it's crazy because I feel like that's the team. We talk about the, the team that under you. I think that's the team because you look at that roster, that's the team you had. Coleman, Brian Carey, that was David Blanks. You had Darren Griffin, of course. Jose came back off an injury. Chris Thomas, I feel like me personally, that was the team that was supposed to be in the tournament and not Southern. Well, we 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 we're supposed to, but you know when you're in one big league and you have one night that you don't come out and play the way you're supposed to play, that's what happened to you. You know, we 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 played terrible basketball. Yeah. Matter of fact, we, we was playing really poor basketball um, the last six games of the season. It's really really bad. I mean, we we won, but it was like as a coach, you know, the difference. You know, and. Uh, uh, just like us playing this year, uh, yeah. we 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 won some games, but you know we, we beat Alcorn State by what two points in the championship game, three points. So you know you beat that team by three, you should beat them by twenty. Yeah. And so with the talent that we had, but you know we we just gotta. It's a challenge. It's a challenge here for me, and I love the challenge. But uh, I'm gonna get a team here that that buy into everything from day one. Yeah. All right. So make this form. Make this perfect. This, this, put them in. Put this. Put these five tissue teams in one pot. Like for example, it's like quarterbacks in the NFL. You say Aaron Rodgers has. You can make the perfect quarterback. Let's take Manning's brains, Michael Vick legs, and Dan Marino's strength. You got this perfect quarterback. Take five tissue. These five tissue teams and make 
What's the what's who's the perfect TSU team? Well, since I've been here, you know, it's just hard to say. You know, I love Madaris Gibb's leadership and his fight, uh, his everyday approach and practice. He never came to practice and took a drill off, a day off, uh, or anything. And I've never coached a guy here before that did that. You know, where he come every single day, every day, and he works. And so he made himself into the player of the year in our league. You know, um, who would have thought he'd been player of the year when I first got here? Uh, I was trying to find a replacement for him at that position all summer long. <laughs> and so he made himself a player of the year. Uh, he worked really hard, but it wasn't just that year he worked hard. He worked hard every year I've been here. So finally it paid off for him. Uh, his senior year, uh, Omar Strong, uh, relentless heart, bigger than you know the state of Texas. Uh, you want that, you know? Uh, you know, just other guys are challenged. You know, they talent. You would love their talent, but I don't want to speak in the names that you know. Those two guys love to practice. Those two guys love to compete. And, and uh, you know, uh, the other three is yet to be made because uh, to go on that list is not a list I just put you on just to be putting you on. Yeah. Um, you have to deserve to be on that list. And no matter if you want player of the year, uh, all conference, uh, we beat some teams, you know. Uh, I look back and – I look at every situation, every practice, and I never to get him a pep talk about effort. Yeah. You know, never to get him a pep talk about attitude and behavior. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why when you put together a team like that, you putting together the behavior, mm-hmm. uh, the attitude, you know, and the effort, not just the talent, but the effort yeah. that it takes. And Donnie Marsh your assistant coach. I look at y'all two and I always say y'all Doc Rivers and Tom Thibodeau. I always call you Doc and he's he was Tom Thibodeau. He was the Jedi master, Jedi mind of defense. He was the guy, the the perfect assistant coach. When he left off to Alabama and um first of all, did he I know he probably called you. What was that conversation like before he he made that decision? No, I encouraged it. Uh you know, coach was the head coach of Florida International before he came up with me at uh, at Indiana, and so uh, he's really worked hard. He deserved a, another opportunity uh, to be a head coach, and I tried to give him a lot of jobs um, throughout this course of me being here at Texas Southern. Um, they didn't come through, and I was happy that Alabama A&M uh, gave him opportunity. You know, it was a big loss for us, huge loss for us. Uh, matter of fact, the year he was gone, we was twelve and six um, in the conference. So big loss for us, big, big, big game for um, for um, Alabama and them. Uh, I don't look forward to playing them because we're friends, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, you have to do what you have to do once you face each other. But uh, wish him all the all the best. We talk a lot on the phone. Matter of fact, we we talked uh, yesterday, and he texted me this morning. So. Um, big, big, big loss uh, for us from a from a defensive stability standpoint, but uh, a big game for Alabama and them. So, how does did you think that played an effect with Zach Lofton and Jalen McLeod transferring? 
to the schools or you think it was just something else at the decision that made that led back to saying that this team really didn't have the chemistry all the way so it was like I mean, once I after this season's over I might make a move to the NBA or I might transfer to another school uh, I'm not sure how long you've been here with me we always replace them always <laughs> you know uh, it's my job as a coach to replace we've had five straight players of the year yeah five straight and, you know, we're looking forward to a sixth. And so, you know, you have to embrace me. You know, the, the, the take me, handle me, you know, you got to embrace work. You got mm-hmm. to embrace uh, doing the right things and not just talking about them, but do, actually doing the right things. Because I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm, 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 I'm brutally honest. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't really, your, your, your human emotions don't matter to me. Uh, when when it, when it comes to me telling you honest things, uh, do I care about you? I love you, but the one thing that most people don't do with other people is be honest with them. And when you know when when you're not honest with a person, how can they correct things? Yeah. And so, um, you know, no matter who we lose off this team, we're gonna replace them. Yeah, I, yeah, I already have faith in you with that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even worried. People, somebody texted me when um, one of my friends texted me when that move was made with Donnie Marsh. And they was like, "Oh, you think TSU gonna come back?" I'm like, "The gap is so huge in the swag with TSU and <laughs> Southern. It's like I don't see another. I don't see a team stepping up. That's like in okay swag football. If Grambling lost a couple of players, you can see Southern creep up on Grambling. But you lose Donnie Marsh, you lose Zach Loth, Jalen McLeod. Like the gap is still huge, regardless. And we may lose. We, we we may lose some more. You yeah, never know. Maybe, but we're gonna gain some." Exactly, that's the thing yeah. about it. So, let's just talk. I want to talk about this question. I had a, I was talking to somebody at TSU, and we was just talking about you know the athletic side of it with all sports at TSU. Mm-hmm. When you go to these other schools and you walk inside of a gym or the university, you know you're going to know the achievements and accolades and the players that walk through that that university. When you walk inside of T, when you go to TSU and you walk inside a gym. You see banners. You see a, a few banners up there. Jerry's retired. But you don't see any trophies. You don't see nothing that is representing, like, the, the, the history of TSU sports because there's been a lot of great players that came through. Mm-hmm. Track, you have Coach Duncan, one of the best names ever at TSU. Big time. You know. Big time. There's nothing. Olympian. Exactly. Olympian. So mm-hmm. it's like when you walk around campus, there's the trophies is under like, in, like, a – it's not underground, but it's like in a room just collecting dust. Do you feel some type of way about this since you're a coach at TSU and it's like the school is not embracing the history of athletics at TSU? Well, we have hours in our office, in our locker room. So yeah. when, when a player or a parent come uh, to visit us and walk in the office, they're right there in the front. You go in our locker room, they're right there in the front. So we have hours uh, in place where – uh, the players and the parents that visit us can see them. Yeah. And attendance. I think me and you talked talked about this before. The best school, best basketball program in arguably in HBCU right now, Swag Me at Combined. But the attendance don't show. Like, literally, I can tell you this. Like, in 2011, this was the year after snapping Joe Young after that season. They had Finlay Prep that's following that next season. And that it looked like a graduation at TSU. 
it was packed all over for that game. And that's the only time I've ever seen the HP and the arena packed for, for a basketball game. That's That was six years ago. Do you feel like something should be, a change should be made at TSU to bring in more crowd at the games? Well, we have a great arena and beautiful arena. Um, and you want it to be packed every night. But yeah. you also want to give the people that do come and spend their money uh, some joy and some excitement to uh, appreciate. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure what we can do. Maybe I can do a better job of getting out with the students. We just got the students there. Just get just get the students. If you get what we got on our campus, 10,000 students? 10,000. Just get five. Get five of them there. Now you got three more thousand to, to get there. But... If you start getting 5,000 students into a game, there's going to be some people in the city that want to just see that alone yep. because everybody will want to be a part of a crowd and part of something big. And so um, we just need to figure out a way to get the students there first. If we, if we get 5,000 students on our campus yep. at our games. It only seats 8,500. And the band going to get some of those seats. And so now you're looking at about another 3,000 um 3,000, maybe 2,500, with all the other people that generates the other 500. Yeah. Then you, you can pack it out, but you know what can we do to get your students out? To me, it's going to be the most important thing because if you're in Houston and you're here in Texas Southern, man, they're rocking and rolling over there, boy. You know, we got beautiful, beautiful girls on our campus. Yeah. You know, we got entertainment. You know, when, 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 when they want to be, you know, people come just to watch them alone. You know, I've had people come to my games that – from my hometown, from Alabama, come and say, "Wow, man, I really enjoy the atmosphere." Yeah. But, but what, what, what if you put five thousand? What kind of atmosphere would you have? So, we need to figure something out. How can we get our students out? Because sometimes I think they only know we have a game that night. That's and that, and that is true. There be. I remember one time, literally, it was an event going on when y'all playing Jackson State. I think it was not this past season, but the year before, and it was like an event. You. Uh, uh, organization through it was the same day as the game I'm like that's why I don't have nobody coming to the game because y'all throwing events yeah. the same day as games and just like for football too like nobody goes to the football games yeah. you could say that hey the, the stadium is too big but that's bull a stadium is perfect stadium is perfect that is a that is a football that is a real that's a football stadium that's beautiful and we gotta do it you know Coach Haywood I think have a great year this year uh, I mean we're fortunate to have him uh, as a head coach, and he's going to get his guys in here, his attitude and everything, the work, the effort's going to be there. Yeah. Rob, you had a question? Well, I mean, I was going to ask, like, U of H is playing their home games at the HPND Arena. Mm-hmm. Would that have some effect to it for bringing more fans to the games for CSU and seeing what we have to offer? Well, I think uh, when when UH played uh, Akron on, on in, in NIT on I, on national TV and our gym, people are like, wow, that's Texas Southern Arena. That's really nice. And for some reason, it looked different when they played than when what we play. Uh, our games, I'm not sure if it's the seats around the, around the arena, I'm not sure, but it looked totally different. I was like, wow, that's, that's our gym? That's really nice. You know? but, um, hey, where did all this come from? Yeah. But it's, it should help. It should give our people some ideas about how to, how to set up the uh, arena. Uh, for games because it was really nice how they had it set up. Yeah. And one last question before I let you go. What can we look for with this team this upcoming season as far as like 
the recruiting standpoint or anything like that? Well, we're still recruiting. We still have about six spots to uh, uh, to uh, fill. And if we can get the guys we try to get, then we should be have an exciting season. Yeah. Oh, because I forgot about this one question. I forgot <laughs> one more question. Oh, it's like it's, it's, producer it's, looking at me. It's like, like the elephant in the room. I was. It, 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 I forgot. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking around. I'm you sure you forgot, or you just kind of no, intimidated because no, 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 no. I'm sitting I really over forgot. Here. They were telling me five more minutes, but I was like, all right, let me just walk one more question. But I forgot. San Jose. Now there's rumors going around that you and another coach is interested in the job. Could you clear it up and and let the people know if there's any truth to it or there's anything going on? With that job, I mean, I've said this many times. I love Houston. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to ever leave Houston, and if I leave Houston, it's got to be something that I think in my mind uh, help my family. Uh, but my family's been treated first class here in Houston, so um, I love it. Want to be here? I'm used to the city now. I'm like I'm really used to the city. I can drive around, mm-hmm. and it takes time for a country boy to get used to driving around the city. Uh, I used to just drive back and forth the same way every day, you know, not 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 veering off for anything other than direct to the school and back, school and back, and maybe going to to funding and everything. But now I'm, I know my way around here. Uh, my little boy loves it here. My wife loves it here. Anything you want is here. Yeah. You know, what is the third largest city in America? Yeah, and so uh, it takes a it takes a miracle for me to get out of here. Well, do you have a YouTube and SoundCloud? There is no. Mike Davis going to San Jose State. <laughs> He's staying at TSU. He will forever be a TSU coach. Am I correct? I want to get my name on the floor one day. We're going to work. We're going to work on that. <laughs> there you go. And this was the third show of the Real Deal with the Kill podcast. Catch it on YouTube and on SoundCloud. <laughs>